I Googled pastor on a stool just to send him a picture of, to figure out if I could find a cool pastor we knew of. who, And literally the first link I... I'm sorry. Um, was a pastor like digging in like dog poop as part of a sermon illustration? That's when I realized stool had more than one meaning. And I wasn't thinking about that, but I can't think of a better way to prepare for speaking to a bunch of dads than throwing out your back. It's like one of the dadliest activities you can do is throw out your back. So I really appreciate your dedication and your preparation for this. Um, that is, that is very deadly. Um, Aaron is here with us. So back, um, after Ida, what's that? Oh, I like that. I, um, when uh, after Ida, I was helping some guys uh, clean out a house, and I saw one dad whose kid had this incredible work, little kid, incredible work ethic, uh, and I was like, when we do a talk on on uh, on work and teaching your kids to work, I need that dad. But Todd Tucker wasn't available. <laughs> so I settled for Aaron. Uh, no, but I was looking at, at ways to, to pair some of these topics together and work and play fit naturally. And if you've read the book, he, he pairs them together well. And I, I, th- I think you guys who know Aaron would agree. I don't know somebody who works harder and plays harder than Aaron does. Uh, just big motor in both arenas and knows how to balance it well, it seems. Uh, so I'm excited to just hear what he's got to say. Uh, and then we'll have some, he does have some notes. Uh, they are printing right now. Um, we sent them to Steven and that was a mistake. We should have sent them to Pete. Um, but, uh, and I'll leave you with my dad joke for the day. I actually got this from my father-in-law. There are some people, by the way, the dad, dad jokes are becoming more and more popular. Um, there are even like people who are not dads who are like becoming interested in the dad joke community, which is a faux pas. That's all. Yeah. Um, all right. So without on that dud, um, which is a great, the groan is why you want, is what you want from a dad joke. Uh, I'm going to leave it to Aaron. So come on, man. Y'all welcome, Aaron. Can you hear me okay? I'm not trying to be fancy with this thing. It's just going to be easier for me to not carry something. Um, so uh, y'all want to hear a good dad joke? <laughs> Actually, this is kind of a good dad. This is actually a cultural, culturally relevant dad joke. You'd want to hear this. <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Um, no, you could go. Go ahead. Okay, well, here it is. You want to hear it? No, I'm good. Um, I was at uh, the, the water park that I threw my back out, and there are two gals, probably in their early 20s. They would know the hip-hop artist uh, or rapper Drake is his name. And, um, she's, there was on, on my email, long story short, she said, I, I had to show her something for the tickets. And she said, Oh, we started from the bottom here. And the Drake line, the song is started from the bottom. Now we're here. And so it's like, Hey, I, I came up from nothing. So I got all five of my kids and then wife around and they're again, early twenties, and I'm like, so we started from the bottom, now we're here. And all the boys, of course, are like, oh, my gosh. And then the girl looks at me, she goes, yeah, smiles. And then the other girl, 
cracking up laughing, dying. And then Ashley, this tops the whole thing off. She goes, I, I don't get that. That's not a dad joke. That's more like a rap joke, right? And then my boys go, it's a dad joke. What are you talking about? I look at the girl. I'm like, that's a dad joke, right? And she's like, yeah. We're, and then we all turn to crucify Ashley now. It's like, so it was off of my bad joke into like, you're a terrible person. Why would you even say something like that? And so I kept, you know, I brought it up a couple times after just to stab it in. When you have teenage boys, the mom is an easy target. And so you just bring up like, can y'all believe that mama said that? They're like, oh my gosh. She's, and I'm like, she's such a boomer, right? And they're like, yeah, she's such a boomer. <laughs> Blasted boomers, huh? Y'all do know boomers are a thing. Yeah. Don't be a boomer. How many of y'all are boomers in here? Yeah. Okay. Maybe I, maybe I can. I, I'm feeling good about the, uh, the handheld now. Is that possible? Because this thing's kind of herky-jerky, but I'm, I'm feeling kind of comfy sitting here. We'll swap them every, every five minutes if we can be ready. Oh, could I, could I have a note as well? I don't, so I don't have to use my phone. Thank you. All right. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, first of all, thanks for coming, y'all. This is great. You know what I love about this? Nick, great job creating a space where there's multi-generational dads and grandfathers here together. Um, it's great. So even, you know, 10, 15 of us just coming to, to learn how to be better in areas uh, of fathering. What a, God, what a God thing to do to be better as a father. Um, to reflect his image more clearly. But I'll pray, and then we'll jump into these notes. Father, we're grateful uh, for, for you bringing us here and uh, drawing us and assisting us and helping us and creating space for us to have a desire to image you better to our kids, to our grandkids. God, we, we ask that you would cause us to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a quick shout out uh, for all of you discouraged dads. You know, one thing I think about often, y'all want to hear the, the non-dadliest thing, uh, but this, this probably happened to me two, three years ago. Gabe was, so my oldest is, so I have, I have uh, we're about to adopt a little girl. We have four biological, and then we have this little girl. So three boys this month, be 18 and 16. So I've been getting alerts saying, like, you no longer have access to his health care page. You no longer, like, real, like, whoa, whoa, who do you think you are, computer? Like, stripping me of all, like, he's about to be a man in terms of the adult age, right? So, he, and then my second is about to be 16 this month, and then we have 14, 11, and 6. The 11 and the 6-year-old are girls, uh, then the, the three oldest are boys. But I remember sitting down, and I, I, I want to use this as a means of encouragement, although it doesn't sound very encouraging. I remember I, w- I was sitting down thinking about my oldest. This was a few years ago. It started crying because I realized, oh, so he would, this would have been four, four years ago. He's, I only got him maybe in the house for five more years. And just thinking about like, that's unfair. 
Like, it just feels unfair. Like, I feel like I'm just starting to get to know this kid. Like, for real. Like, he just kind of got a brain. And I'm just be, I'm now just able to connect and relate and communicate and, like, friend, right? When you, you start hitting that 13, 14-year-old range and you're like, whoa, 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 five years left? Like, that's it? That's all I got? It really feels a little bit wrong. It feels like a little bit of an injustice to me. Um, but here's the encouragement. It does, this is also something I've just continued to remind myself. Evidence in the room right now, my dad being here. Like parenting does not stop when a kid moves out. That's, a, that's also God's grace to us. That, that it, you, may have, you may be like, man, your kids are along now. For all of you who have kids who are a little bit older. And remember this for those of you who have kids who are younger like, there's going to be a sense, and Ashley said this, we were just on vacation, she said it the other day, she said, man, it's just like hitting me, I, I just kind of want to, like, smother Gabe all of a sudden for the first time, I've never felt like this before. He's, you know, he's about to be 18 years old, like, how much more time do we have him? And there's just a good reminder in the middle of that, like, well, no one said parenting ends at 18. No one said parenting ends at, like, when they become mature, independent adults. And that's just not true. And so for those of you who maybe have kids who just have already veered off and they are independent, there is not much of a relationship. Like, just know, <clears throat> as, as much as God is our father for our entire lives, so are we fathers for our entire lives. And we get the opportunity to continue to engage and to parent in a different way, in a different season, a different style. But it's the same opportunity to model who our father is, to image who our father is, to show grace and mercy like our father does, to show loving kindness, compassion, and patience like our father does. And all of that is just parenting. That's imaging who God is. And, and so if there's anything that I, I feel like absolutely intimidated by and consistently poor in, it's parenting. Like, that's just true. Just let you guys in on the secret. Um, I feel like with Ashley, I'm like, well, I have this other independent adult who participates in my sorrows and weaknesses, who understands my downfalls, who gets it. Like, and so we just journey together and it's like, well, we're figuring this thing out together. Parenting isn't quite like that. <laughs> it's kind of like you're figuring it out, may, yeah, with a spouse or something like that, but you're just kind of figuring it out independent almost of that child, it feels at times. Like, sorry to sample on you, but this is what I think I should do. And, they, and all they can do is give you, like, you know, a frown or a happy smile. And they may or may not be right, right? Like, you just reflect off. If you reflect off of their energy, it's like, oh, maybe, I'm, maybe I should just not pay attention to your response at all. Because it's very curious how they're going to respond. So I have found tremendous difficulty in parenting, personally. Like, and so I have just made it my goal. Like, if I could just do two things really well. I just want to image God. And I want to be friends. That's really what I want to do. I want to image who God is. And I just want to be your friend. And so I've been going through, like, as my boys have been getting older, like, real hard conversations we've been having. Like, real hard. And it's like, I just want to image God. And I want to be your friend. And I've been finding myself talking to Gabe a lot. Like, like dude, I just, I'm a step in for a second. Whether you can believe me or not, I'm going to be your friend right now. Like, I'm just going to tell you. As a friend, this is what I think you should be doing. And it just doesn't matter. Like, and so that's, that's different than me stepping in and saying, 
you're wrong. Right? So, so just think about those two things, and we'll get into it, like imaging God and being their friend. And in imaging God, we are authoritative, right? So it's not like I'm just saying, hey, let's be soft and just side by side. In imaging God, we are leading. In imaging God, we are caring for. In imaging God, we are shepherding. Um, but that, is, that framework has helped me personally. Image my father and be their friend because they really need both. They really, really, really need both. Okay, work and play. Do you see your job as being given to you by God? <clears throat> that's, a good, that's a really good question. Do you see your job being given to you by God? And if you answer that question with a maybe or I don't know or possibly a no or just maybe never thought about it, this probably is the end of that story with regard to your kids. Your kids will feel like you don't value work. Just very simply. If you answer your question, well, it's just my means to provide for my family. If that's what it ends up sounding like, then your kids won't really value work. They won't, they won't have a God-centered picture of work. They won't see God as big in the middle of work. Because to you, it feels like it's just an obligation or it's a responsibility or you just shut up and put your head down and get to it or it's boring but it pays the bills. All of those things exclude God. Is there any room for an idea in the scripture that includes dynamically at the center of it God and it is also inconsequential? Or a little bit meaningless? Or without clarity? Or without passion? Or without excitement? Or without adventure? Anything that God is in the center of has deep, profound meaning. Work was God's good idea before sin ever came along. We all know this from the scripture. Before the fall, Adam was assigned to be a boring gardener and shepherd. Just boring work, y'all. It's just like that early morning, late night, nasty, dirty, smelly work, right? That's kind of what we would view that type of stuff as. And since, the sin, since sin entered, in a lot of ways, we probably would say, well, it's very different now, right? I would say, sure. I'm sure in a lot of ways it is. But what is also true is that God assigned particular jobs prior to sin. So that gives me kind of a, a theology of work that God is designing work for his particular purposes well before. So if marriage was a design well before, then certainly we would say, well, like he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, we should say he who finds a job finds a good thing and you are blessed. And if you've ever not had a job, you know the truth of that statement. And, and, and in a culture and a society like ours, and I'm sure I don't have any data on this, but I'm just going to go ahead and assume something it, where it's pretty easy to get a job. And let's just really contextualize it and talk about the people in this room. It's probably, we're smart enough, we're good enough, we're talented enough, we can all hold conversations, we come across a certain way. We don't know what it's like to not have a job. Even if you got fired, you could go find another job. It might be less than what you want, but you could find another job. Well, when something is so common, kind of like marriage, kind of like raising kids, it feels like common. No big deal. Treat it as 
unholy. And by unholy, just like not, a, not separate and profound. Like, wow. So getting back to it, your kids will see work through the framework that you teach them. So the most common, oh, I'm sorry. Early says when we reduce work to means of income, we take the spiritual dignity out of it. Again, is God at the center of it. And that will always end up robbing us of some dignity too. I would, I would encourage you to explore what does that mean? What does it mean when spiritual dignity is taken out of something your just dignity about you as a person is removed. And we would do well as Christians to model and teach those who are far from God about the dignity of work. So when everyone around works like, well, you know, you have a different approach. And that brings dignity to you and to that person and primarily to God. And that would be, that's a good witness for us. But the most common answer I get from students when I ask them about what their dad does at work, they're largely unsure or uninspired. And that's not like the kids when we meet on Wednesday nights. One of my, almost my only responsibility here, I take care of uh, Wednesday nights with students, junior high and high school, and lead that environment. But it's not just these kids that we meet next door. I was uh, a youth pastor for six years in my 20s, and I asked this question a lot. And I would say, like, what does your dad do? It's just like one of those adult questions that you can kind of get to know a kid. So this is not like a small sample for me. Also at work, where I work, I work with a lot of 18 to 24-year-olds, and as I get to know people, I ask that question as well. And it's always an intriguing answer, and I don't, I don't look for the answer to see whether or not they've had a good father, but you, you will be able to determine a lot about their relationship with their father based on their answer. And if it's uninspired and unsure, it tells you something about the depth of conversation that that father had with that child about work. And... You know, with the kid, what, what that translates, unsure, uninspired, translates, I don't really know, but I know they make money because we have a house and we have cars and I'm grateful. And that's great. But it, it still leaves them without God at the center of that provision, right? Like, if they would see, like, man, this is a beautiful thing that my father has been given. And I, it has been explained to me what I do or what my dad does. And we've talked about it. Now, not in a weird way. Hey, I want to sit you down and tell you why my work is meaningful. Like, not a weird way, but like in a conversational way, in a way like, oh, at work today, kind of way, right? Like, oh, you know what happened today? And it all of a sudden feels like life to them. And then, of course, as a sneaky dad, you just kind of like insert something in there that you're like, hopefully that hook sits, but we'll keep on moving. And so, in some weird and uninvited way, everything we do can be seen as a reflection of our kids' heavenly father. That's true. It's a weird, like, wait, really? I'm going to image God to my kids? Weird. Uninvited, please don't put that weight on me. In some weird and uninvited way, everything we do but work reflects God. And so, we should be talking to our kids about the meaningfulness of work because it shows them who God is. So I have this, you know, most people don't have an opportunity to work with their kids. Um, 
two of my boys and three th- thirds on payroll. He, he'll hustle every now and then. He's only 14, but, um, and it truly is a little hustle for a 14-year-old, I guess. But like the other two, they, they'll work a little bit more consistently. And primarily my oldest, he's working right now at, at uh, one of our restaurants. And one of the first shifts, now this is un- uncommon and unusual, and, and most people don't get this opportunity, but you got to find these. But one of the first shifts he ever worked, um, I was interacting with a young manager in his early 20s. And I was walking him through the restaurant. I'm in the restaurant business. And I was walking him through the restaurant to point out different things. High, low, like up, down. It was, you know, we were talking about two things. Everything in its place and cleanliness. So these are two words we use a lot around the workplace. So, so everything in its place and clean. And I was just showing him. And in, in, internal, like this is Vogel boy culture. We use the word rage a little bit loosely. And so when you're raging on someone, you're just like talking to them a little bit serious, you know, but like, dude, you're raging on that guy, right? You know, like it's that kind of like just, you know, banter. So I'm talking to this guy for probably 20 minutes and Gabe's washing dishes for 20 minutes. And, and then the next day or maybe late that night, he gets off and he's like, man, you were, you were raging on that guy. <laughs> that was his comment. But he didn't mean it like raging on that guy, but, but like that's a good... Oh, let me tell you what I was talking to him about. Cleanliness and everything in its place. Now, not everyone has the opportunity to show their kids what that looks like in the workplace. But you do have an opportunity to bring stories like that from workplace to home. And then I can say, hey, Gabe, you know how we do our jobs around here at the house. And we talk about everything needs to be in its place and we need to keep it clean. Well, that's the same person I am at work. And so we're doing the same thing there that we're doing here. So I'm, I'm drawing illustrations out from integrity of, of, of man, right? Like I am an integrated being. Like this is who I am there and this is who I am here. And so that kind of, like looking for stories like that, I think uh, to be very important. So my story of work in our home, we've been doing these things since... Uh, I don't know. So he's, at least since he was maybe 10 or 11, uh, our oldest, who, again, about to be 18. But we, we call him jobs. We've never given, what's the word? Allowance. We've only paid them for jobs. And so we have, um, you know, organized, like Ashley does a great job with this. She has a name, and she has five jobs under the name. And what she did, she established 20 things around the house that we need to get done on a weekly basis, aside from the things she and I need to do. And then we wrote all, all those things out, and then every, and now there's 25, because we have this, this little gal now, of course, we're adopting. So, bruh, we got a house full of workers now. Isn't that nice? So, so we have 25 things now, but for forever it was 20, and we, we rotate. Just we put a new name above the five jobs, and we pay them a dollar a job. And, and it's organized. It's like, hey, this is, you know you're going to do these things every Saturday or Sunday, and you're going to do them across the two days or one day, and we're going to pay you a dollar per job. And if you choose not to do it, brother or sister has the opportunity to get overtime, pick it up, and earn an extra buck. And so that's like you don't work, you don't eat kind of thing, Right. My kids like to take their money and then go to the gas station and waste it on something stupid down there. But they can't go to the gas station if they don't work. And that feels pretty good. And I do. I'm like, like Isaiah, he's broke right now. 
He's 14. He's broke. And I tell him, dude, you are broke. He's like, hey, we were at Bucky's on the way home. He's like, can you buy me these shorts? No. I'm like, why would I buy? You don't have any money. I just bought you something on vacation. I was like, this is why you need to work. And he just like, stupid. You know, he didn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. I know. So, so that gives him an inspiration. And he's the guy of all of them who has picked up more jobs from other people. He has. And that's just fun to watch where he like starts earning. Now we give him more. I think we just started giving him two bucks per job as they've gotten older, because eventually a kid realizes, oh, that $5 goes nowhere. Right. So now we have to incentivize them and give them raises. Right. And so they're, they're making uh, 10 bucks per week, which is pretty fun. So organized, paid, consistent. You know, before we went out of town, I told, I told the boys and Maisie, no, yeah, I'm trying to think which kids we still had home, but, um, hey, we got to do our jobs before we leave. We got to do our jobs before. So there's a workplace culture inside of our home. We got to do our jobs. We don't call it allowances. We don't call it chores. Nothing wrong if you do. I wanted to instill inside of them at a young age, you're going to get a job and you're going to value it. You're going to get paid for it. It's going to be organized. It's going to be consistent. Show up week after week after week. And when they complain, they don't want to pick up the poo in the yard. I don't care. We still got to pick up the poo in the yard. You know? So that's, that's kind of my story. Then the four questions, that's work, and we're going to move on to play now. Those four questions are the four questions below it that we can work through in, in the round. It's just such a good way to say it, in the round, huh, Nick? Uh, at the tables afterward. Play. I found that play looks very different for kids. And so I have an opportunity to see across five kids what play looks like. And, and if you have more than one kid, you know this is true. It just looks different. And so that's an interesting thing. So we can either decide to play the way we learn to play with our first, or we can decide to play the way I prefer to play, or we can decide to play the way that every kid needs to play. I think work, at least, and I'm not saying this is right. This is what I've done with work. Work is work is work is work. Like, at the end of the day, there's, there's some common threads here. You don't want to do it, you do it anyway. Like, that's a common thread. Play is, you don't want to play like that. And now, there are nuances in how to inspire people to work. I don't want to, I want to move past that, though. But, but there are a lot of ways to think about play. And it's kind of like it's okay. It's okay to think about play through all these different... In the workplace, it's like, look, you're going to get paid to do a certain job, period. I don't care how you want to do it. You're going to do it this way. This is how we do it around here. Playing's different. So it looks very different. Play can show up in the form of, and just be thoughtful to the various lists. And this is just like a reflection on my own kids. Int- in, uh, uh, musical interests, uh, sports, adventure. Look, danger, adventure slash danger is a real form of play. And it's like one of my favorites. I mean, really, like Isaiah is an adventure danger guy. And I'm like, I get you, dude. Can I go do this? And I'm like, yes. That's how it feels. Vacations, style, clothes, fashion. Like you don't think of these things as just sin or temptations. Think of these things as thing they're, things they're drawn to. They're des- they desire to participate in these activities around this stuff. 
And so it starts out like with Barbies and dressing up and things like that, maybe for a kid or Ken, he's cool too, Barbie's husband, you know. But as they grow up, and if you Barbie guys got, didn't get a lot of acknowledgments, Ken is Barbie's husband. Um, so, but as they grow up, it turns into something different with fashion and style. Video games. Video games are not of the devil, maybe, necessarily. <laughs> They're not. That's a form of play. And then conversation. Man, I could think of one of my, my second dude's play. He just wants to talk. It's, I could, like, what do you want? Just talk. And, I, and sometimes I'm like, don't feel like it doesn't matter. I need to talk. It's play, right? So uh, conversation, encouraging them to play with friends as they get older. Our job is to step into their form of play. It's a good one. Um, just a quick story. Um, Ashley is doing something with Nellie, who's the girl we're about to adopt, called play therapy. And she's been doing this for like two and a half years since we started taking care of her. And you go to the therapist, started online, which was really weird. You go to the therapist, and during COVID, the ther- we'd set up the, the screen, and she would sit in front of the you know, the Zoom call with Nellie, and she would just play with Nellie and would act out whatever Nellie would say. And now we do it in person. And so there's these little toys and blah, 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 whatever it might be, and it gets weird. Like, the play gets weird. It does. But it's play. And, and what we have learned, like, this is through therapy with this little girl. This was not our good idea. This is called play therapy. Like, this is a beautiful, beautiful form of play where you just sit there and you are victim to this play. Like whatever they say, you do. Like, and I'm not saying it gets weird as in like perverse, but like, no, I don't want to play like that. You know what I'm saying? Like imagine you giving yourself to your four-year-old and just being like, whatever. You know, usually we put up boundaries and we're like, hey, look, no, daddy doesn't do stuff like that. And I'm, again, I'm not talking about perverse things. Just saying like, daddy, why? Because my preference is that I don't do stuff like that. And so what we've learned through this is like, so what Nellie has come to do is she's come to express deep, deep things through play. And I think play is that. I really do. Like, it's deep love, deep desire, deep passion. Right? And so it shows up in the form of something playful. It's things you care about, man. It's things you want to do. It could come through the form of sport. And, and sometimes it doesn't look like play anymore because it's so serious, but it roots itself or it shows up in musical instruments and it's rocking or it's like very serious and sober, but it starts in the form of something they really deeply care about and they find to be fun and entertaining. That's important. And so... We have to be careful to not put boundaries on their play. And a, a couple things I wrote here. Uh, play is a way to re-enchant a disenchanted world. That's from the book. I, I thought that was an amazing statement. This is a disenchanted world. You know why? Because work dominates it as men. I'm tired. My back hurts. I've had 50 conversations today. I problem solved way too much. 
No, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. And now this doesn't, let me put a plug in for all the wives that they wish we would all hear today too. Like, and we bring this to our wives, right? We bring this home and it's heavy, heavy, heavy. I wrote this, uh, be conscious that growing up in a family that is spiritually minded can feel heavy and serious. We really should stop and think about that. You know why it feels heavy and serious? Because we are awakened to the most serious and heavy thing of all. And a lot of people never wake up to that. And so life just kind of, I'm not saying it becomes more playful, but it doesn't maybe have as much depth. You know what depth and meaning brings? It brings a little bit of a furrowed brow. It brings thoughtfulness. It brings carefulness. It brings like, hmm, everything that we look at is through a lens of. Be conscious, man. Be conscious that when we raise our kids in spiritual environments, it's heavy and it's serious. And it sounds like this. Do you, like, what do you think that does with your relationship with God? That's what it sounds like. And it's like, every time they make a mistake. How do you think that's going to? Like what? And it's like, oh, it's just heavy. Growing up in a Christian family can feel like growing up around the cross. <laughs> we talk a lot about crucifying sin. We talk a lot about obedience to parents. We talk a lot about going to church, being committed, doing the right thing. Being, being, doing, like all that stuff. That's just like, even though you may consider yourself a grace-filled person, you got to put yourselves in the shoes of an 11-year-old for a second. Realize they're not that serious. And there are a couple kids in our church that I have observed who are that serious at that age. But if you gather 50, 60 kids right here in this room, I'm just telling you, they're not. (laughs) They just want to talk about shoes, And they want to talk about sports. And they want to talk about games. And they kind of want to make fun of each other. And they want to make fun of you. Like that's what they want to do. And there's something beautiful about that. So all I do over here is just act like a big goober. Because I know it's like they need to be them. And have fun and mix it up and make fun of yourself a little bit. And yes, we're going to spend like... 25, 30 quality minutes in the scripture. But of these two hours, we're just hanging out, man. And I'm going to make fun of you. Like, that's kids. It's letting them be who they are. We raise them like we're around the cross all the time. We need to remind them of the resurrection. Man, resurrection. There's something young about that, isn't it? There's something fun about that. Something life-giving about that. Resurrection, this is what it looks like. Um, You know, when Gabe wanted to grow his hair out to a mullet, it's a little weird for me. Because I grew up making fun of mullets because I just hit the tail end of mullets. And then he grows his hair out, and look, y'all, this is resurrection. This is how I think. I need to be really cool with that. And then he went and got a buzz cut. 
And now it's, it's like my preferred hair. It's like faded up. It looks good. It's like a three on top, one in the back. It, it looks a little bit hip hop. I like it a lot. And then he's like, I think I want to bleach it blonde. Ooh. I'm like, I need to bring the cross. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need to bring the, and I'm like, and he's telling this to Ashley the other day. And I'm, and I'm literally looking at her like this because I know she could, she's very unpredictable. And so she could either, she could either like crush that thing or be like, you absolutely need to. Where I'm like, talk to me about that. <laughs> you know? um, but I'm doing this, like just trying to tell her, don't respond because I need to think about this before. Um, but I, it's kind of like, Aaron, why not? He's employed already. He can't lose his job. <laughs> Right. Like he's and and there's something about me that is I'm thinking about work and play. That's really what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about work and play like he's not going to do that forever. By God's grace, I hope that he grows up and he's not thinking about changing his hair consistent. Maybe he will. And you might say, well, do we got to don't we have to tighten that up so that Mm." I mean, I'm a dad over so much more than hair. Like I want to I want to talk about all kinds of things. And I want to work through and play through all kinds of things with him. So, like, that's how work and play <laughs> to me shows up. Like, yeah, the cross and, yeah, the resurrection, man. No, you can't get drunk. Like, yes, there is crucifixion to your sin. Of course, these things that are abundantly clear in Scripture. But, like, play is around preference a lot of times. We should be open to preference. Read to them. Dr. Seuss is one of my favorite artists or authors ever. I mean, for real. Like, it's a joy for me to read Dr. Seuss. And when I don't want to read, that's the kind of book that I remember as they were growing up and we would read to them consistently. It's the kind of book that I'm like, I don't want to skip any pages. Y'all know what it's like to skip four pages while you're reading to the six-year-old? I'm real good at it. It's a game, and I'm good. But when Dr. Seuss, man, it's so fun. And it, as a dad, I enter into this world of rhyme. I enter into this world of creativity. So finding books that you yourself can actually lend yourself to as playful. As they got older, we'd sit around the table and we'd just read, I would just read books out loud to them. And now it's, I'm in this weird place of like, boys are so old, they don't like it as much anymore girls really do. So it's, I don't know what to do right now. It's a little bit of a strange season, but we're going to try the other day. I was reading that. She goes, and this never happened in the middle of it. She goes, "Mm, you should stop (laughs) because the boys were just gone. They just were uninterested. And I was like, me too, kind of. But, like, it's what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm trying to play, and I'm trying to be conscious of them and, like, the season of life. So we're trying to sort through and navigate that kind of stuff. But read to your kids. It's a playful thing. And then fear prevents play. Last thing. Fear prevents play. So they, we have bikes, and these bikes um, are meant to be ridden. You know that. Bikes are meant to be ridden. And riding on the streets is dangerous. It's just really dangerous. And sometimes if you don't do anything dangerous, then you don't want the other people to do anything dangerous in your family. So here's a challenge. Be a little bit more dangerous. And if you were, 
I bet you you'd be open to your kid's adventure. You know, for me, I, I wrote until part of it was my back. Uh, riding my bike through the city, and I finally uh, came like to a place where I would do it enough and often enough, and I started uh, putting together, oh, I think it's my bicycle. Like, that's really causing some stuff just by the constant impacts. But you know what riding my bike through the city taught me? It taught me to let my kids ride their bikes to Raising Cane's on Williams and West Esplanade. Like, really? Because riding my bike through the city, I remember on St. Charles and Union, my bike crossing over the street just a couple few years ago, and my bike comes out from under me, and I slip because it's a little wet, and I hit the you know, streetcar tracks, and I'm down, and there's cars all around me. That felt a little dangerous. But, you know, it taught me. Yeah, you're all right, man. You're okay. Get up, and don't stop riding through the city because you had one little tumble. And our kids, they get a little tumble, and often we slurp up on them and we just tighten them up. Man, let your kids play. Let them ride bikes. Let them do things that are a little bit like, man, you heard people did that 50 years ago. You know, when I was a kid, that kind of thing. Like, there's something about that. I have to, hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm like, oh, that feels dangerous to me. Like, I rode home yesterday. Gabe drove the entire four hours. And I'm just like, this just feels dangerous. Like it starts raining and he doesn't take his foot off the pedal. I'm like, it just feels dangerous. Now, how do I handle that conversation in a way that says like, dude, ride your bike in the rain. Slip on the tracks. Laugh at yourself because all the cars are looking at you. And get back up and ride. That's fun. That's a story. Our kids need stories of play. Don't let fear get in the way. And then there's three questions beneath that about play. I'll pray, and then we'll ask questions. And Nick's going to come up in addition to that. All right, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for giving us guidance around work and play. God, we thank you for principles and truths. God, we ask that you would give us balance between the two, that we would be thoughtful, careful, and a bit reckless as we raise our kids. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the first step up is the hardest. <laughs> I'm locked. Uh, thank you, Aaron, uh, for, for a lot of good stuff there. Here, you forget your gum. Uh, I was thinking, when you're talking about, like, kids making you play the way you don't want to play. I was, you, you guys who know me at all know what a big fan of Bluey I am. And, uh, and that's just bingo, man. The, the dad in Bluey, like that guy, his, his kids have the stupidest games sometimes. But he's like, I'm in every time. Um, and I, there's something about that, I think, that, that's welcoming the kids where you know that you're in a safe enough place to let them uh, call a few of the shots and, and you leaning in and not making your preferences bigger than their preferences. Um, let's do this. We can stop quick bathroom break or drink refill, whatever. Do me a favor. Raise your hand if you have a kid in youth. If you have a kid in youth. One, two. We got a lot of y'all. Wait, you have a kid in youth now, Colin? <laughs> no, no, not a kid who is young. Uh, a kid who is in the youth group. Raise your hand if you have a kid who's in youth. 
One, two, three, four. All right, you guys, when we reconvene, I want y'all sitting at this table, okay? Okay? How about like nine through 11 year old kids? Who has like a nine through 11 year old? Yeah, we're going, defaulting to your oldest. All right, if you've got like a kid who's like nine through 11, and Greg, your kid's like youth age, right? Yeah, that's youth age. Yeah, you're gonna go to that table. Um, those of us with like middle graders, we're going to sit back where uh, that back table right there. You guys with the young bucks and ladies are going to sit at this front table here. So reconvene in about five minutes or so um, and we'll get going.